Hello, Overlake. It is my honor to introduce to you our speaker today, at least to those of you who don't yet know him, Pastor Drew. Now, Pastor Drew has been on our team longer than I have. He served in a variety of different roles at Overlake, including running our special delivery home. And always, he has served from a pastoral care perspective. A few years ago, Pastor Drew launched Celebrate Recovery, which meets on Tuesday nights in our chapel. And this ministry has literally brought freedom and victory to hundreds of lives. I just wanted to take a minute and publicly say, I love Celebrate Recovery. I love what God is doing through this ministry and through Pastor Drew's leadership. Uh, every time I'm around on Tuesday nights, I love to go to the chapel and experience the joy and the freedom that's there. Because if you would go, you would discover that it is a ministry unified by one cry. It is a group of individuals saying, I need God's grace and I need God's help. And as such, it is the most authentic, pretense-free, honest church gathering that you'll find. So if you haven't checked that out yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Friends, what I'd love to do right now is simply invite you to warmly welcome Pastor Drew as he comes to share with us today. Well, it's good to see everyone here today. I really appreciate the awesome introduction that Pastor Mike gave, and uh, unfortunately, what I typically do when I introduce myself at Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights, I do it like this. Hi, I'm Drew. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who believes in victory over drug addiction, sexual addiction, and codependency, and I struggle with anger. Some of you are here from Celebrate Recovery, and you know the proper response. Friends, I do this not because my identity is in my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but you see, I agree with the Apostle Paul when he says in the book of Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. You see, Jesus, ever since Jesus captured my heart some 34 years ago, he's placed me on this dynamic journey of transformation where he set me free from addictions, restored my marriage, has given me meaning to my life. So in introducing myself, I'm simply proclaiming God's power in my life, and I'm also acknowledging that I haven't arrived, that I'm in process, just like everyone else. And I think that's really important for us all to remember. We're all in process. In fact, I would propose that most churches today are doing an amazing job of teaching how salvation sets people free from the penalty of our sins. And it offers us a promise of a glorious eternity. But most have neglected to share that salvation is God's awesome power that gives us power over sin in our daily lives. And I think this is one of the coolest things that we as believers can experience because it puts legs to our salvation knowing that we can experience freedom over the enslavement of our hurts, habits, hang-ups, fears, and resentments in the here and now. And that's the aspect I want to talk about today. You see, when I meet people who share their struggling with some problem, whether it be overeating, depression, substance abuse, or some obsessive compulsive behavior, and they tell me they have no hope, and they can't imagine things being any different, it's like I can't contain myself. 
I can't wait to tell them that God wants to do an amazing thing in their life that they simply cannot do for themselves. You see, God's in the business of doing the miraculous. And whether you know it or not, it's happening around you all the time. For example, I'd like to invite a friend of mine to come up, John, and he's going to briefly, uh, share briefly his condensed testimony. Whatever you're going to give John a warm welcome. Hi, I'm John, a grateful believer in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has currently experienced a victory over alcohol and drugs, but continue to work on the issues and messages of my past. Hey. My biological dad abandoned our family when I was less than a year old for a life of drugs. Little did I know this would be the start of abandonment issues that would follow me into adulthood. I'm the youngest of seven kids of a blended family. The fact that we we're a blended family was just one of the many secrets that our family would not let anyone in on. I learned at a very young age the art of deception because family secrets were just that, family secrets, and they were not to be told outside of the family ever. We never talked about our hurts or feelings or rarely shared emotions. We were raised to believe this was a sign of weakness and to show weakness was a bad thing. As a result, I learned to mask my feelings and was left to internalize them so I wouldn't be seen as weak and a failure. I had no relationship with God when I was growing up. My dad wanted nothing to do with God and would never allow any type of religion in the home. Our family was the envy of most kids. Everyone wanted to come over to our house, especially on the holidays, because my parents really knew how to throw a party. As a result, I started drinking and using drugs at a very young age. I think I was around 10 or 11 and I became sexually active by age 12. I was 15 when my niece was born, and I was my sister's top babysitter. For payment, my sister would buy me a half case of beer every night I sat for her. Eventually, it was a case of beer just to get me through the night. Needless to say, I was a 15-year-old drunk being trusted with my niece's well-being. I was 18 when I got my first DUI, and with a week, within a week came number two. With my mom to the rescue, I started inpatient treatment and entered into a deferred sentence program. I stopped drinking for a short while, but continued to smoke pot and eventually went back to drinking. Eventually, I got married, but the feelings of abandonment, mistrust, being used and unloved in my childhood continued to plague me. As a result, my addictions only got worse. Ultimately, my first marriage would end in divorce. Then I met Kim, a woman that would change my life forever. We became very close, very quick, like it was meant to be. With my daughter and her three kids, we instantly became a little family together. I felt loved, needed, and valued again. So I thought. Eventually, feelings of failure, loneliness, and being inadequate resurfaced. So I chose to isolate by becoming the workaholic alcoholic who spent all my time either working or would be outside in the garage drinking 
so I wouldn't have to deal with the responsibility of a wife and kids. Over the years, I did go through rehab, but I couldn't take the pressure of being sober. I had no support system, and even though I would dry out for short periods of time, I found myself quickly going back to drinking a half gallon a day. This destructive behavior lasted many more years. Through all of this, my wife and I separated several times. We even filed for divorce, but always got back together. My addictions destroyed my marriage and every possible relationship, including with my kids, to the point they were afraid of me. In December of 2011, I started hearing about this CR thing from my wife. I would frequently promise my son that I would go with him, but always found an excuse not to. Even in the darkest depths of my addictions, I felt superior to everyone around me, and I truly believed I was not one of those people. Over the next few months, my drinking got so bad, I was hospitalized from alcohol poisoning and under suicide watch. In March of 2012, I decided to check out this CR place. To be frank, I was coming here to kick Drew's butt because I knew this was a cult and I was going to put an end to this Drew guy who was brainwashing my wife and son. <laughs> As we entered as we entered the church, I found myself scared to death, just trying to compose myself. Then as we turned the corner, this big, goofy, bald guy <laughs> walks up to me and says, hi, welcome to CR, you must be John. I'm glad you made it tonight. I thought that wasn't too bad. <laughs> I tried to eat something, but you see, it was about 22 hours from my last drink, and I was shaking so badly I couldn't even cut my food, let alone eat it. I gave up and went to the bathroom and tried to collect myself, and on the way out, there was Drew. Little did I know that the next couple of minutes spent with a complete stranger would change my life forever. We talked for a while, and he said the words I needed to hear. He said, you won't find a safer place to be with real people who won't judge you and truly care about you. Looking back and now knowing Drew a little better, what he did in that moment was to open the door to recovery. The only thing I had to do was to walk in. I not only walked in, I ran in. I found out it was okay to admit I am powerless in my addiction and I need help. In short, Within a week of first coming to CR, I went from a half gallon plus a day blackout drinker to no desire to drink at all. God has taken every desire to drink away from me, and all I had to do was step out of my denial and open the door. God did the rest. It took me about two wee weeks to realize not only did I have no desire to drink, I wasn't swearing, I wasn't getting angry, I wasn't viewing pornography or having any other evil desires. God literally took it all away. 
My friends say that I was hit by a bolt of lightning. Yeah, as I started to learn about Jesus and how he died on the cross for my sins, I really started to understand and accept forgiveness. Not just how to forgive others, but the ability to forgive myself. That is when the healing really started for me. And then came faith. For me, I call it blind faith. The combination of the two has brought an inner peace that I've never experienced in my life, and it still continues today. Thank you for letting me share. What an awesome story, huh? Now, I'm not going to kid you, John's recovery has taken commitment and work on his behalf. But as you can see, even though he had never been in a church before, he realized Overlake was a safe place where he was not going to be judged, but that he would be accepted right where he is at. Once he did, it opened him up to experience God's amazing love and the power of salvation that's become a dynamic transformation process in his life to this very day. Now clearly, as a Celebrate Recovery Pastor, I'm passionate about creating a safe environment for people in their faith journey. But I wanna stop for a minute and just give Overlake some props. You see, this value is shared by every pastor in this church. Like Rory and Neely with the junior high and high school ministry. Jake with young adults, Pat with life groups, and my fellow pastor in Caring Ministries, Larry Bodmer. But more importantly, it's one of the central mantras that's constantly being chanted by our lead pastor, Mike Howerton. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a great reason to be stoked to be a part of Overlake. Yeah. Woo! Right on. Friends, this is exactly what church is supposed to be about. It's not a holding pen for the pious, but it's a hospital for sinners and a fitness center to keep healthy. So what is this thing we call recovery? And does it have any place at all in the Christian church? You see, recovery is simply a secular term that has become popular with the creation of AA. However, however it's synonymous with what we call as believers as sanctification. Simply put, sanctification is the process of being made holy, which assumes that we've got some unholiness in our life, doesn't it? Now, don't get me wrong here. If you're in Christ, you're fully sanctified positionally because of what Jesus did at the cross. But God wants to do an ongoing practical work of cleansing us from our hurts, habits, hangups, fears and resentments during the course of our lifetime. And though I would never knock anybody for going to AA or NA, there are numerous differences between those programs and Celebrate Recovery. Primarily, AA and NA leave it open for a person to define their higher power any way they choose. In Celebrate Recovery, we are unapologetic that Jesus is the only one true higher power right on. What may also be of some interest to you is that AA was originally founded, uh, founded or based upon a 12-step Christian discipleship program 
founded by the Oxford Group. So where AA and NA and other secular programs have over time neutralized references to Jesus, Celebrate Recovery properly restores Jesus and his words back to their rightful place. So you see, friends, the word recovery is really nothing to be afraid of at all. I would also propose that the transformational aspect of our salvation is exactly what Jesus was talking about in John 8, 34 through 36, when he challenged his audience that everyone who sins is a slave to sin and that a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, as our song said when we opened, you will be free indeed. The question, the question I have to ask you is, do you want to be a slave or do you want to be a family member? I would further submit to you that God doesn't want us to be passive about our faith, but he desires to be an active force at work in our lives, miraculously transforming us day by day so that we will not just be free, but we will be free indeed. You see, the Bible really does have practical answers to day-to-day problems. And because I know that some of you here may still be struggling with the, you know, the R word, recovery, I developed an acrostic that I'd like to use to show you some practical steps to live out what it's like to live life truly free indeed. And you can track with me in your bulletin. The R in our acrostic is first, we need to realize the problem. Jeremiah 6, 14 tells us, you can't heal a wound by pretending it's not there. Through our lives, we all experience a wide variety of hurts hang-ups, fears, and resentments, ultimately left unchecked, these areas will only fester and lead to behaviors that create chaos in our lives. And unfortunately, there's a nasty tendency for all of us to either ignore them or write them off as insignificant. Friends, in recovery, we call this process denial. Denial is essentially any reason, excuse, or mechanism a person uses whether it be conscious or subconscious, to avoid accepting the truth. It means to reject, refuse, deny, refute, or denounce reality. Sadly, we all can get comfortable in our chaos, can't we? Attributing, attributing re- reoccurring broken relationships, legal and financial struggles, or physical and emotional problems as normal or as a stroke of bad luck. But just like the ignoring ignoring the symptoms of a serious disease, it will only get worse. And as anyone who's worked with people who are struggling can attest to, the vast majority of things people think they're struggling with, like anger, rage, eating issues, substance abuse problems, sexual integrity issues, or codependency, they're really not the problems at all. But they are the various ways we either medicate ourselves from some pain that is lying beneath the surface, or there are ways that we've learned to meet some need in our life in an unhealthy way. And it's been my experience that one of the greatest sources of pain generally results from the identity messages we all can embrace over the course of our lifetime. Let me make my point. In the early 1900s, a sociologist named Charles Cooley developed a famous study that's come to be known as the looking glass self. And in it, Cooley demonstrated 
that people have a tendency to see themselves how they believe the most important people in their lives see them. For example, if you guys all were the most important people in my life, and I thought that you thought that bald guys were the most amazing, handsome, lovable, athletic people that you ever met, intelligent, that you were attractive, that you ever met or ever walked the face of the earth, what do you think I'd think about myself? I'd feel pretty good, wouldn't I? But in contrast, if you guys thought that bald guys were the ugliest, stupidest, moronic failures that ever walked the face of the earth, how would I tend to see myself? Not too good, huh? You see, we live in a culture that not only promotes how we should be, but it dictates that we should look a certain way, wear specific styles and brands of clothes, have certain kinds of educational degrees, have a certain amount of wealth, have specific uh, viewpoints politically, socially, and economically, simply to be valued and accepted. The result is there is a tendency for all of us to live our lives with a plethora of messages like, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I don't measure up. I'll never succeed. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm not likable. No one would ever love me. And ultimately, these, these messages create emotions in our life that eventually translate to behavior. For those who experience anxiety and fear, drugs and alcohol have been an easy thing to turn to in our attempts to find relief. For those who struggle with value messages like not measuring up or being good enough, you may find yourself compensating through perfectionism, workaholism, or materialism, or perhaps in the hope that you would somehow be recognized, valued, and accepted, codependent behaviors like people-pleasing and rescuing others that become your medication. Or perhaps you find yourself constantly finding, uh, constantly in sexually compromising situations, hoping to feel loved. Friends, the messages we carry and the behaviors that result are literally, literally endless. Please hear me. Our messages are not an excuse for our behavior. But recognition of them helps us to understand the different ways they continually lead to chaos in our lives and how they hold us back from living life free indeed. It's not always to be easy to be on to ourselves either. But if we're going to truly be free, we must be willing to first recognize and admit there are areas in our life that we need to grow. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 tells me, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The second letter in our acrostic is evaluate the damage. Friends, in our journey, we all get hurt and we have tremendous capacity to hurt other people around us. As a result, we need to be willing to evaluate and properly process the damage that occurs physically, 
emotionally, socially, financially, relationally, all the LYs. When harm occurs, rather than sweeping it under the carpet. Unfortunately, in our fast-paced society, it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to take the time to feel, let alone process, anything at all, especially feeling bad. Celebrate recovery, we have a saying. It's not bad to feel bad. It's normal. Unfortunately, in our desire to never feel bad, or it's our desire to never feel bad that eventually can lead to a good number of obsessive compulsive behaviors and addictions. For example, one of the reasons that I originally got hooked on drugs was that when I felt bad, I decided to just have a little something to pick me up. After a while, I was always finding reasons to feel bad so that I would have an excuse to get up. Over time, I began to realize I didn't feel anything at all. I never felt good. I wasn't allowed to feel bad. So I just simply resolved myself to feeling numb. Friends, it's not bad to feel bad. It's our attitude and willingness to learn and grow through it that allows us to live life free indeed. Psalm 13:3 says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Commitment is the C on our acrostic. Commitment to learning and growing. Many times when I meet people who are struggling, they'll come to me and they'll kind of share, you know, hey, I'm struggling. What do, what do I need to do to see things change in my life? It's almost like they're looking for the five simple steps of something they can do over a weekend to make everything better. But there are no quick fixes to struggles that have taken a lifetime to develop. If you truly want to live life free indeed, you need to accept that it takes a lifelong commitment to learning and growing. That's why we call it a journey. Essentially, it all boils down to this. The level of freedom that you want to experience in your journey will be directly proportional to your level of commitment. So how free do you really want to be? Does this mean I need to go to CR, join a support group, or enter into counseling? Perhaps. Well, how often do I need to attend and for how long? Well, as long as it takes. Please understand, regardless of whether you choose freedom or slavery, you will be making sacrifices. The question is, which direction do you want to go as you sacrifice along the way? Let me put it to you this way. If you were to think of your hurts, habits, hang-ups, fears, and resentments like deadly cancer, eating away at your identity, relationships, and capacity to live life to its fullest, what would you be willing to do to get healthy? Would you be finding excuses to skip out on life-saving treatment that you knew for sure would lead you to being cancer-free? I don't think so. In turn, what are you really willing to do to be free indeed? Matthew 13, 12 says, For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. The next letter in our acrostic is the letter O. Ownership of my part. For sure, in short, 
No person can own somebody's journey to overcome their hurts, habits, and hang-ups for another. That's called codependency. Every person needs to own their own stuff. Occasionally, someone will approach me at CR and they'll tell me that they're there because their husband or their wife or their boyfriend or girlfriend or their mom or dad think they have a problem. To which I ask them, well, do you? If we really want to be free indeed, it's important we stop beating around the bush and blaming others for why our life is not going the way we want it to. But we need to own our part. Blame only delays the process. And you know how you spell blame, don't you? Be lame. So don't be lame, okay? Own your stuff. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. The V in our acrostic stands for vulnerability. Being real with myself, with God, and with others. Being vulnerable and transparent with ourselves and others and God is perhaps one of the hardest things to do. But I assure you, it will pay huge dividends. Here at Overlake, there are a number of ways we can be challenged or we can challenge ourselves in this area. We can join a life group, support group, come to celebrate recovery, or seek some biblical counseling. One of the things that uh, we do at Celebrate Recovery is we encourage people to form teams of at least three to five people who are of the same gender that we can reach out to and we can call upon when we're struggling so that they can encourage us and listen to us and, and pray for us. Now, I know for a lot of you who haven't done this before, it's going to be pretty hard to pick up that phone for the first time. In fact, that phone will feel like it weighs a thousand pounds. But I would tell you that as you take the risk to pick that phone up and you do it more and more, that phone will get lighter and lighter and lighter. And it'll become easier and easier and easier. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The next story, or the next letter is enlightenment. It's a sudden awareness of who God is, his love and his forgiveness for us. God wants to give us an epiphany of who he is that will continue to grow our entire lives. I gotta tell you a story. I'm a pastor and one of the things about being a pastor is I used to have these illusions in my life that uh, when I got into ministry that somehow I would just be in the constant presence of God. And I, I gotta tell you, it doesn't work that way. I mean, there's many times I just feel totally like God's off in Albuquerque someplace and, and I'm here, right? And so uh, uh, I'm always praying, I'm always serving, I'm always in the Word. So those clearly aren't the answers in and of themselves. So uh, I was at a Bible study a number of years ago, and it was about 11 years ago. My, my uh, son was six years old, and the guy that taught this bi Bible study, uh, uh, he was challenging everybody. He says, you know, how often do we go into our prayer closets, or maybe not even pray at all, how often do we go and we approach God with all our wants and things that are going wrong in our life and everything else. And he, 
He said, I would just challenge everyone here. He says, I would challenge everybody, just shut up. Rather than going in and asking God to do all these things for you and just kind of, you know, dump and run, how about just shutting up and listening for God? Wait for him to speak to you. So uh, he challenged everybody to do it for 30 days. And I thought, okay, well, you know, you know God's off in Albuquerque, so maybe this will work. So I sat for 30 days. I made this commitment. I was going to get down and get up early in the morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I would just sit there and listen to God. He told us, not, don't even open your Bible. Just close your eyes and listen to God. So I, I set aside this hour. Day one, I go down and I, I listen to God for an hour and no God. Day two, day three. Week one, week two, week three. I got to day 29 and I still hadn't heard from God. And I'm thinking, God, what's up with this? I mean, I'm making this commitment. I, I simply want to connect with you. Where are you? And, and my eyes were closed and I was just kind of pouring my heart out to God. But as my eyes were closing, I could hear the little pitter-patter of feet of my son coming downstairs, this six-year-old little boy. And he said, uh, what you doing? I said, well, um, I'm listening to God. He goes, well, can I whistle with you? And I said, well, no, I'm done today. And I said, I'll, I'll be here tomorrow. And thinking nothing would ever come of that. You know, he typically didn't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. So next day, day 30, I get up and I walk downstairs. I get my coffee. I sit in my chair. I close my eyes and I'm thinking, this is day 30. And I'm just listening to God. And all of a sudden I hear the little pitter-patter of feet again come downstairs. And quietly as my eyes are closed, he crawls up into my lap and he puts his head on my chest and he sits there perfectly still and quiet for the next hour. Now, if you know little kids, my son, that's quite a miracle, right? And as he's sitting there perfectly quiet at the end of one hour, I said, do you want to close or do you want me to? And he says, I'll close. He said, Dad, I just want to thank you for being with my dad today. And I just thank you for having the time to listen to you with him. You give my dad a good day, okay? Which in his language meant amen. <laughs> he got up and he just quietly walked upstairs without saying another word, got back into bed. And that's when God spoke. He said, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Because that's what I want from you. I want you to have deep, intimate relationship with me where you want to come and spend time with me. That's the epiphany we experience as we enter in a deep, transformational relationship with God. He'll give you a fresh epiphany of who he is and you will experience him at a much deeper level. Psalm 119, 18 says, 18 says, open my eyes so I can see what you show me of your miracle wonders. Relapse prevention is the second R in our acrostic. Relapse prevention requires honesty, accountability, humility, and involvement. Friends, relapse of unhealthy behaviors is not uncommon in our Christian experience. In fact, I will tell you it's normal. 
That's why we call it a process. Sometimes it's three steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. The important thing is that we're always moving forward. However, I typically see two things occur when people relapse in unhealthy behaviors that limit our capacity to live free indeed. The first is, I notice that when people experience a relapse, they have a tendency to suddenly disappear. Even if, even if I do a follow-up call, there's generally a wide variety of excuses for why they're not showing up at church or CR. If you find yourself in this position, the key thing is not letting the shame and the guilt of your struggle separate you from God's people. Nothing good will ever come of that. It will only lead to things getting worse. Remember, there is no shame and there shouldn't be any shame in the body of Christ. So my advice to you is if you're struggling, keep getting up and keep showing up. The second thing is that I see that's very prevalent is for those who are connected to someone who's experiencing a failure. They fall prey to judgment and unforgiveness. And while it may seem reasonable at the time, remember you too are in process. Harboring bitterness and resentment will never lead you into a deeper relationship with God. But it will only serve to give you the illusion that somehow your tumor is prettier than someone else's. The fact is, all our tumors are lethal. In other words, in the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, he says, harboring bitterness and resentment towards someone is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. So whether you're experiencing a setback or connected to someone who's struggling, remember not to allow the devil to rob you of the opportunity to live life free indeed. Matthew 6.13 simply says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And finally, the last letter in our acrostic is this. Yielding to a new you, or yielding to the new you. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And it tells us in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. You see, friends, through God's power, we have the opportunity of a lifetime to trade in our old nature, which is driven by unhealthy appetites for a new nature that has real identity and purpose. And it's continuously growing dynamically so that we get healthier. That's what redemption is all about. It's one thing being exchanged for another. So when we fully understand our salvation is not just being free from the penalty of sin or the promise of glorious eternity, that we realize that it's the power of God doing the miraculous in, miraculous in us, doing something for us, in us, and through us, we can never do for ourselves. That's when we can live life free indeed. Let's look at this next video.
hopefully a number of you were challenged today. Maybe some of you here have even been challenged in your faith. Maybe you have come and you haven't been a Jesus follower, but maybe today you kind of realize that God really wants to do something special for me. It's not about being religious or pious, but it's having a real affectionate relationship with God that simply is for the taking because it's a free gift. God's not looking for you to clean yourself up and you know, make everything better before you come. He accepts us right where we're at. Perhaps you've been challenged to realize that you're settling in your faith journey. You've been on the journey, but you're settling. And maybe you realize that you're trapped by your messages from your past rather than embracing that you are a unique creation of God with distinct design and purpose. And now you're ready to let go. Or maybe you're one of those people We're all those people, aren't we? One of those people that have been living life without hope because of some struggle with a specific hurt, habit or hang-up or fear, resentment, and you just can't believe you'll ever be free. Well, friends, I want to tell you if that's where you're at, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told John a little over two and a half years ago. We're glad you're here. We love you. God loves you. We accept you where you're at, and we're on the journey with you. So friends, no matter where you're at, let's bow our heads. Let's pray and invite God to do a deeper work in all of our lives. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so easy for us all to be caught in the trap of believing we're not one of those people. But the reality is we're all one of those people. Lord, you didn't come for the righteous. You came because the world and everybody in it is broken. And Lord, you desire to do a dynamic work of transformation in our lives where we can exchange one thing, our old fleshly nature, for a new thing that is not only satisfying to you, but it helps us to live life free and free indeed. And so Lord, I just invite you in, no matter where you're at or where, where you're at in anybody's life or where, what kind of a relationship they have with you, Lord, that you would abundantly come in and blow their minds with intimacy and understanding that, Lord, we are all on this road we call recovery. And so, Lord, bless each person here today in Jesus' name. Amen.